Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Today I'm excited to be meeting with Kim. She is podcasting from her igloo today. Hello, Kim. <laughs> hi, hi, Eric. Yeah, it certainly feels like I'm uh, from I'm inside an igloo. <laughs> yeah, you you guys are buried in snow right now, and I know the entire country right now is in in pretty low temperatures. But uh, yeah. my goodness, you guys are getting another dumping of snow right now. I think right. We are. It's still snowing today, and there's at least a foot, if not more, outside the house. So, I remember when I was a kid, and I loved snow. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just not not my thing anymore. I don't know. Well, I I don't think children are actually appreciating the snow right now because there's no snow days. (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. All right. Well, today I know we're talking about CSR. Uh, that's what yep. we you, you told me that before we started the podcast. But Kim, I got to ask, what is CSR? All right. Let's talk about that. CSR is Corporate Sustainability Reporting. Okay. And we've mentioned that before, but we've never talked about it in depth. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go in depth on exactly what Corporate Sustainability Reporting is and why it's important. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I can I can already tell why it's important. We need those reports. We need to know what's going on, but I've got so many questions. I'm not going to just barrage you with questions, but why don't you start off and, and kind of give us that overview, and then I know questions will come as we go. Usually when we talk about corporate sustainability reporting, we're talking about an annual report that companies publish with specific goals in mind of sharing their social and sustainability responsible actions and results, Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of vague, right? Yeah. (laughs) So let's let's talk about what that means. And in our industry, uh, many companies believe that um, they'll create a better long-term value by embracing this opportunity to share this information. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of companies who don't necessarily want to do that. We won't nece- we won't name some of those companies, but they might come to mind. What we're talking about is these corporations want to improve on their long-term value and manage their risks. And what they're doing is um, developing their ESG results in these reports. And if you remember, ESG is environmental, social, and governance. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, they're, they're looking at doing a, a bit of a deeper dive in, in terms of sharing that information with the public. Mm-hmm. Sounds good, right? So why don't yeah. they all do it? Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's one question. And then, well, I, I'm sure you'll get into uh, this also, but where's the accountability? Where are the standards? Where I mean, there's so, yes. many, so many things out there that need to be answered. I, I know that probably a lot of companies look at this as an opportunity to make themselves look better in the public eye as well. So it's, it's almost like a marketing opportunity in a way too, right? It could be absolutely a marketing mm. re- um, 
opportunity. And, and right now there are no standards because it's not a requirement. So the companies who are doing this are doing it voluntarily. How long now, has this been in, going on? Well, it goes back to the 80s. Uh, when oh, some geez. companies okay. started, yeah, so some companies started to do this voluntarily. And in the 1980s, there were um, in environmental reporting from some companies. They started publishing um, these reports, uh, environmental reports, and it happened mainly in the chemical industry, which, as we know, had some very serious problems mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> back in the 70s and 80s. And so what they did was they started to do environmental reporting to make themselves look a little bit better and talk about the things that they were doing to kind of get themselves out of trouble. Um, you know, and did they, boost, did they, boost their sorry. image. No, yeah. no, they were just boosting their image, yeah. Well, but my, I guess my question is, uh, how involved was the EPA in, in these companies making this decision? I would think that the Environmental Protection Agency would have some sort of guidelines that, that companies would have to follow, and they would be the ones pushing for this. Is that the case? I no? believe that's true, yes. So okay. when, we, when we got around into the 80s, there were some requirements for uh, EPA reporting and environmental reports. Mm -hmm. So that's where this started. Those had some specific guidelines, but it wasn't all encompassing on all of the bigger issues that we saw and were having in terms of climate change and other um, environmental issues. So it was just those specific issues. Uh, there were other companies that had issues like the tobacco industry, mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Um, and so they started doing a similar type of thing because they also had image issues, big image issues yeah. during that time. There was also a smaller subset of early reporters, um, mostly small and medium-sized companies that were doing what we would consider advanced environmental work. So this was a positive, hmm. not okay. a negative. And they were kind of putting it out there to promote the good that they were doing. But it wasn't the big corporate sustainability reporting that we're now seeing, which we'll talk a little bit more about. Okay. So I think it's important also that we don't forget that these reports don't just provide information about the the negative stuff. Um, what, we, what we're really seeing is kind of the good and the bad and, um, you know, kind of the ugly, right? So it's a big okay. all-encompassing report here. Um, the, the goal here is to work on progress and making change. And that's kind of the point of a corporate social responsibility report. Yeah. So with this report, is there a standard standardized checklist? I don't, I don't even know how to phrase this checklist or the things that they're supposed to be reporting. I know it's voluntary, uh, voluntary for a lot of these companies, but is it something where there is specifics that they have to do or, or can they just kind of leave certain things out that maybe aren't going to be favorable and so they're not going to just report those? Well, that is a challenge and we are going to talk about the challenges in a minute Okay. because there is no standard reporting in the U.S. and it's not mandatory. Yeah. It is in Europe. Okay, Europe, so wow. Yeah. See, again, Europe. Way to go, Europe. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's so much farther ahead. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're so much farther ahead of us in a lot of these things. And um, 
you know, what we really need is the goal of getting some sort of standard and uh, a mandatory reporting process, but it's a pretty big goal mm -hmm. uh, considering the four years we've just come out of, we have so many things to work towards. So I think this might take us a little bit while longer to, to get to this process, but we can. Yeah, um, it's very impactful, and and getting changes on ESG issues by having a corporate sustainability report and a minimum standard. So, I'd like to see big standards, but we really need some minimum standard, and it shouldn't be voluntary. It should be some sort of mandatory practice that corporations um, share this information and really tout the good they're doing and the progress that they might be making towards environmental, social, and governance issues. So, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the why, why it's important beyond just those pieces. Um, I think the most important reason or uh, purpose really behind a CSR report is is the value of, of the impact mm -hmm. uh, corporations are making on all of these ESG issues. And, and having a, a corporation itself really consider their personal impact. Without a CSR report, they can kind of put those things in the background. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and not really pay attention to that. So we know there's a lot of companies and, and big corporations out there who really do care. Um, and there's a lot of corporations who just kind of wash over it and a lot of corporations who maybe don't don't really care it's not something they pay attention to but if there were mandatory csr reporting then they would kind of be forced to pay attention yeah and yeah pay attention to the impact well here's here's <laughs> this is going to really simplify it uh for for my own brain but the way i look at it is that you know, if they're not required to do it and there's no standardization as far as what they're looking at, um, like you said, they companies can turn a blind eye to it. And it's yes. not that it's not necessarily that somebody has, you know, evil in their heart and they're like, yeah, oh, we're going to, you know, pour this oil down the drain. Ha ha ha. It's really <laughs> right. more it's more like me. Uh, you know, my my clothes are on the floor on the side of my bed and I, I walk by. I'm like, oh, I got to get those picked up. Oh, I got to get those picked up. Three or four days later, my wife's like, pick those up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then guess what I do? I pick them up because there's accountability. Right. There's somebody else telling me, hey, you need to do this because I'm not going to live in the sty with you anymore. And right. I think that if we do that with these corporations, say, look, you need to have these reports so we know that you're making progress towards cleaning up your act because I refuse to live in the sty you're helping to create. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. That, I, again, I don't think there's just necessarily evil amok, you know, out there. I, I'm sure there are some right. that are just very greedy uh, for, for cash, but... Yeah, no, I, I, I totally see the why in this, for sure. Right. Which you just mentioned, you know, cash. Su success in this process is more than just profit. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is there's non-financial performance, which is a leading indicator for a company's long-term profit in this process. Mm. ESG metrics really help a business recognize when their strategies need an overhaul in this whole process. Yeah. If if they're not paying attention to these factors, their long-term performance will likely suffer. Mm. We can see that in oil companies, in 
many industries that are not paying attention to the the long-term process of um you know, well, let's just focus on oil companies, for example. Sure. We know uh, extraction of oil is not going to be financially feasible long term. It's going to continue to cost more and more. These companies are not going to be able to continue this process because people are not going to pay $10 a gallon mm-hmm. for oil. It's going to bring up prices of so many products that we use. Mm-hmm. If you realize, you know, many people don't realize, I guess um, is a good way to put it, that s- there are so many products in our life that contain uh, oil in them. Plastics. Mm-hmm. Do you realize how, I- I'm just sitting here looking at my desk and all of the products on my desk that have plastic in them. <laughs> Whether we want them to or not. Yeah, I uh, I just as you were talking, I took a drink out of out of the cup that's on my desk. It's actually a cup that I got from the movie theater, you know, and that was obviously from 2019 because we didn't go to the movies in 2020. Uh, yeah. I keep these cups for a long time because they're hard plastic, and that's what you get when you order a large drink. Um, right. But I guarantee this was made with oil. I'm just holding it in my hand right now, going, I'm. I'm I'm sustaining this at my house. I didn't throw it away, so I'm proud of myself for that. But doggone it, <laughs> this is definitely right. made with oil. Yeah, you're right. Right. Huh. Well, I have a vitamin bottle. I have a tube of lotion. I have mm-hmm. reading glasses. I have chapstick. Uh, you know, yeah. should I go on? You know, it's yeah. like, really? wow, it's a lot. You know, so it's it's interesting. Um, so we have to think about that. And you know, ESG assessments really do help identify these practices and and they're all associated with future risk so corporations really should be paying attention to that there's also the issue of transparency and here's some statistics and i know you love these there was a a td ameritrade survey and it showed that 60 67 percent of esg investors care more about advancing social and environmental causes than their investments rate of return. Mm, that's powerful. It's, it is powerful, right? And and then we know this, we've seen so many studies over the last decade that millennials, um, which are, it's hard to believe because I have two of them, they're nearly a quarter of the US population. And they really do show a tendency of associating with companies, whether it's work or investing or, you know, where they buy their products from, but they they associate with companies with a strong purpose and ethical um, governance standards and environmental standards and social justice standards. So they're they're focusing on these companies and they want to know what they're doing. Yeah, that that is awesome. Yeah, and and I think also the generations behind them as well. There's also a, a 2015 Nielsen study, and you know everybody knows Nielsen, right? of 30,000 consumers in 60 countries. So this is a pretty broad uh, study. And they reported that 73% of millennials are willing to pay more for sustainable goods and products. And I think I mentioned this in a previous uh, podcast. Uh, Millennials are really moving us to do better. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Yeah. And so I want to talk about the challenges as I did mention, we would go to that piece. 
Yeah, I, I just want to say one thing that, and of course, is a proud papa moment. Uh, but my daughter actually was telling me that she has gotten in the habit of shopping online. When she shops online, she will go to a certain site that everybody knows. Everybody knows the site that I'm talking about that you shop on. And <laughs> yeah. she will find the product that she wants. Um, obviously, there's usually multiple listings on that site of that product. And then she will find who's selling it and see if they have their own web page and buy it from them instead of buying it through that big, huge company that doesn't necessarily do the things well that we want them to in, in multiple Excellent. areas of their business. I was like, are you kidding me? And I just, I was, I was just, that's not something that I taught her. And I was just, I was just so happy that she learned it from somebody else or, you know, and, and saw, I don't know, she might have saw it on TikTok, who knows, but she, <laughs> she decides to go to the smaller retailer and do business there if, if at all possible. Now, obviously Good she's on a budget, her. everybody's on a budget of some kind, but for her, it, she's willing to pay a dollar or two more for a product that if she can buy it from a smaller retailer than the, the big giant. So Wonderful. I think, yeah, I think that those money decisions, I think millennials are doing fantastic. She's actually not a millennial. She's younger than, younger than a millennial. But like you said, millennials are really leading the way in this. They know their dollars matter and where they spend them matters. And I, I love to see yes. that. Yes. And can I just say, I don't understand TikTok. There's not much to understand. It's just a time suck. That's all it is. It's just, it okay. sucks you in. And it, the, the, the best part of TikTok for my wife and I is we love when we come across somebody who's cooking and creating recipes and we're like, oh, we're going to try that. And we, my okay. daughter's, my daughter's big into that as well. And so she, she and my wife made these dumpling things the other day that were pretty amazing. It's like a, a different type of pasta that you just, anyway, whatever it was. Right. This is, I, I there we go. It. Time suck. Okay. Challenges. Yes. Challenges. Here we go. Yes. Yeah. All right. So challenges. Uh, one of the challenges is uh, how much data do we put in a CSR report? Mm -hmm. What's relatable uh, to the ESG practice and, and the impacts uh, what should be disclosed? It's it's kind of a challenge because there's a lot of information that can be put in one. Another thing that I think is important in terms of corporations it, and, and how to describe this without getting too legalese, I guess, is there's, there's a matter of law in the United States. Uh, what is materiality principles and control of publicly traded corporations? For example, when we're filing... When we're filing shareholder resolutions, mm -hmm. sometimes they get kicked out because it's not uh, material to the corporation, right? So the same process can be applied to a CSR report. The data that is disclosed in a CSR report must be material to the corporation and mm -hmm. their process of business. So we want to make sure that a CSR report is related to that business's uh, materiality uh, process. Does that make sense? Kim, you just mentioned filing a shareholder resolution. I just want to say something to the audience real quick. Kim did an entire podcast on this uh, probably eight months ago, a year ago. Uh, it was fantastic. So if you want to learn more about that, please go back to that podcast because she she went in depth in it. So didn't mean to interrupt, but go ahead there, Kim. Right. Uh, that's actually a really good podcast and is somewhat related to this. Uh, so when they're looking, when you're looking at um, CSR reporting. If you have a set standard and a company is required to report on everything, it may not be relevant 
to that company. Some mm-hmm. of those pieces might not. So we have to be careful on what we say a corporation has to report on. Mm. And and not everything is going to be relevant. Yeah. One of the biggest problems with sustainability reports is that they're they're often, as I was just mentioning, they're just misaligned with the company's priorities. Mm-hmm. So achieving that success for uh, triple bottom line uh, requires this balance between the social, the environmental, and economic performance. So the measures for each of those pieces and, and how they are weighted is going to vary from company to company. Yeah, that makes sense. There's, just, there's kind of this fine line between what's required and what isn't. There's also, and I think you mentioned this at the beginning, or maybe I did, but there's, there's not a uniform definition mm-hmm. of what all of these pieces mean. And even within the social investment area that I'm working in, there's this discussion of what is the definition of environmental, social, and governance. Many people have a slightly different definition for those pieces. So we need a uniform definition of all of those. There's also multiple reporting frameworks. How do you get one? (laughs) Well, there's, uh, there's a number of different places where you can report. So, for example, GRI, which is one of the most common, that's the Global Reporting Initiative. That's one place you can report. There's a couple of others. Uh, So corporations in the U.S. are kind of thinking, well, where do I report? Mm, What's the best place? Uh, They're not really sure, uh, you know, where where they need to be doing the reporting. So what do those organizations do then? It, in terms of the reporting? But, yeah, but besides gathering the reports, what are they, are they just the ones that publish it or they process it or do they, they... Yes. So you can go, for example, to the Global Reporting Initiative and look up uh, corporations' uh, reports and, and look at the data that they have uh, presented for, for that, for a different, com- uh, multiple different companies and, and look at the pieces. But there's no uniform data in there. It's just whatever that company has decided to report on. Yeah. Okay. That's that, that to me, that poses a huge issue because what if one of the companies that you're reporting to decides to soften it or, or I don't know, they're not going right. to necessarily change the data, but report it slightly differently. So it seems a little bit more in favor for the company. Well, I mean, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's a challenge because there's yeah. no set standard, right? Yeah, so how do we overcome that? And you know, what's the solution? You know, I don't, I don't specifically have the answers, but I'm gonna, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about some, some different options and some things that I've been thinking about and others have been thinking about. And some of the key drivers of the solutions and how to overcome that is to, to have a good quality guideline. And mm-hmm. as we were just talking about, the Global Reporting Initiative has a pretty good standard already in place and is probably one of the more common places for folks to report. And they really do enable all organizations worldwide, not just in the U.S., to access their process and to have some sort of common system. And and the results are uh, very similar to financial reporting. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, many most corporations are using GRI, but there are some, as I mentioned, other places. So it's kind of a standard Mm-hmm. that is being 
being set. And, and that is one good solution if more companies got uh, together and started using that process. Organizations can either use this GRA standard to prepare their uh, CSR, kind of start using that process, mm -hmm. or they can, can use select standards within it. They can use the whole standard or um, just kind of uh, parcel it out to mm. report specific pieces. And that's kind of a problem. Yeah. But again, as I mentioned, some of those pieces may not be relevant to their business. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of look at pieces and try to figure it out. One of the options that we're looking at is we, the global we, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is, is having the ability for corporations to provide reports for different segments of people or organizations. So for example, a consumer report or a report for governmental organizations or a report for other corporations. Uh, and then those reports may look very different, but they're relevant to those, those specific organizations or governmental pieces and then you can compile them into one large report what's relevant to the consumer or the individual investor may not be relevant to the government corporation and what's relevant to the government piece is not necessarily relevant to the individual investor and they don't necessarily want to read those pieces but they can then be compiled into one big report and you have a broader csr report does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a good standard to start with and easier for those different components of, of places that need those pieces. Now, on the Global Reporting Initiative website, they have a GRA 10, GRI 101 program mm -hmm. to get any corporation started, which is kind of nice. Um, so it's a place they can register their report in their database if they've never done one one before they can go through their little tutorial <laughs> so they can get one started which is kind of um, easy process to do um, they have guidance on how to focus a corporation's material topics as we just talked about um, so they can reflect their report on each corporation's um, significant sustainability impact and then leave out the pieces that don't apply to them I, you know, I think it makes it easy for them to, to kind of go through. I kind of poked around a little bit on it without doing a deep dive into mm -hmm. the 101 program. So I think those are some great solutions yeah. to get started with. Also, what I found interesting is um, they have this uh, uh, section for articles and they're new for 2021 is a specific guidance that links um, their... Uh, their initiative and their reporting to the United Nations uh, 17 Sustainable Development Goals with their standards. Which we covered in podcasts. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, so I thought that's great. Uh, this is just um, the these 17 development goals are really becoming a bigger and bigger deal mm -hmm. in all of the areas of ESG that we're seeing. And really, as I just keep mentioning over and over again, we have to create some sort of national or even global standard that's in line probably with the European standards, which are so far ahead of us. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm at. I, I just I, I really strongly believe that what Europe is doing 
is so important and we've got to move forward and get in line with what they're doing. So Yeah, if we're going to move the needle, we have to we have to do more. And I, I think everybody would agree with well, I think a lot of people would agree, not not everybody, but a lot of people would agree with that. And I would love just people to understand it more and I, I love the fact that you bring this up because it makes people ask questions and uh, hopefully they're asking questions of themselves and the, the business that they're doing with companies out there and maybe questioning those companies a little bit, using a little bit more scrutiny uh, to, to say, hey, do I want to spend money with this company if I if they're not willing to do any type of reporting? Um, yes, or in, in, invest in this company because as exactly. I mentioned, that long-term economic performance of a company is important yep. if we're investing in it. And is it viable? Is it going to be viable long-term? Mm-hmm. So whether you want to hold shares of that company for three days, three months, or 30 years, you want to know if it's viable. And, and that's really important as, a, as an investor or for us, an asset manager. Yeah, absolutely. Kim, great stuff today. Again, it's... Uh, one of those things that I didn't know anything about this and, and I love getting together with you and, and learning and expanding my horizons so that I can then talk to my daughter about it because uh, she, she may know this already. I'm not sure, but at least she will after I, after I speak to her about it. So thank you so yeah, much for this. That's great. I'm glad you share it with her. And I, I see what you did there, expanding your horizons. I, well, see, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kim, thanks so much for your time today. This was a great podcast. Any any it closing was, thoughts yeah. as far as how people can reach you and, and what to do? I was just going to say, if people want to know more about this or how to work with us in terms of investing their assets in a sustainable, impactful way with ESG metrics or sustainable metrics, they can call us at 505-982-9661 or email us at info at horizonssfs.com. Fantastic. Again, Kim, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Eric. It's always a pleasure to be with you. You bet. One of these days we're going to thaw out and uh, podcasting will be a little bit more fun, maybe from a beach. Maybe we should talk about that. Oh, gosh. Great. A beach would be joyful. I'd love the sound of the waves in the background. Yeah. and (laughs) And I hope to you, the listener, that you're able to listen to this podcast on a beach sometime, someplace. Uh, hopefully you're all warm, but mostly we want to thank you for the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Greg O'Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661
Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of New Mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.